to be looking this morning in Genesis chapter 21, a message I call Living Waters, and you'll see why. Genesis chapter 21, verse 17, and God heard the voice of the lad, and then the angel of God called a Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. God has given us Abraham as a picture, an example of what it means to live by faith and walk by faith. And we have seen uh, overwhelmingly that uh, the life of faith means that we have to do a lot of living while we're waiting on God's timing. God's promises are absolutely sure and certain. But it's only the timing that's uncertain for us. We know God's going to do what he said that he is, has, is going to do. Amen? I mean, that is not in question with us. But when? Sometimes we live a long time. While we're waiting on God's promises. And in fact, Abram's lived for 75 or for 25 years, between 75 and 100 uh, in his in age, uh, waiting for those promises. But now he's living in the midst of them. It's one thing when you dream about them, thinking about them, and singing about the sweet by and by. But isn't it wonderful when all of a sudden you look around and you're just experiencing the blessings and God has opened up the windows of heaven and they're falling around and you see God working and God moving. And that's exactly what was happening in Abraham's life. They received that long-awaited promise of a child they called laughter, uh, Isaac, Isaac. And now, in the midst of it all, Uh, We have these two scenes in Abraham's life, both of which involve a well, a well of water. Now, water supplies were very precious in the land of Israel because much of that country is desert country. Uh, when you go uh, over the mountain range that uh, uh, drops down into the Jordan River, then comes up on the other side, you just have miles and miles and miles of sun and rock and sand. And in a, in a desert, then land, uh, water supplies are precious. And so it's often used in Scripture as a symbol of the blessings of God through the Holy Spirit. And that shouldn't surprise us uh, because it is, after all, a life giving factor. You've got to have water to live. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, I didn't just make that up. Uh, water is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And none other than Jesus Christ himself gave us that symbol. We could just think for a few moments of all the times that God used water as a symbol. Uh, I'm thinking now of Moses hitting a rock. Boom. And then God telling him to speak to the rock. And he hit it again. That cost him his life, by the way. You don't mess up God's symbols and... It was a very important thing 
that God had told him to do, and he didn't do it. And so over and over again, the Bible does this, and I think the Bible is going to use this as well this morning to point out some things to us. When Jesus speaks of the living water, this was built upon the Old Testament promises and prophecies. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 8 is one that comes quickly to mind. Uh, in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. Literally it will flow from the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, he emphasizes then that this is more than a geographical location when he said that he that believeth in me out of him shall flow rivers of, of living water. That fountain of living waters will indeed open up in Jerusalem and it will indeed go forth this healing of the nations. and It will flow throughout the millennial reign and it will never run dry and that's a literal river. I, I believe it because the Bible says it. Uh, but that of course is there's more to it. There's more to it because Jesus, you see, is that water of life. He's the living waters and it's his wondrous person and work uh, that is the story, the meaning behind that whole passage. And when we think about Genesis 21 and the references to these two wells this morning, I, I want to make something very clear. We're, we're talking about springs of water. Uh, high quality H2O, if you will. Springs of water. Why is that used as a symbol of the blessings of God and how much we depend on God? Go about two days without a drink. And see if you won't be calling out to God. To show you where you can get some water. We can't live without it. We can go a long time without bread. Some of us can go a long time, a lot further than some of the rest of us could, but we could go a long time without eating. But uh, you can't go very long without water. Both of them, of course, are used in symbols as an illustration of the blessings of God and, and how God works in us and how God sustains us and supplies the things that we most need. And so Abraham, here he is living in the land of the Philistines. We, we saw that last week. Uh, these were people who had rejected God and, and uh, they stood in stark opposition as the arch enemies uh, of the people of God. Uh, to put it another way, the Philistines didn't care for God and they didn't like his people much either. And that's just the story of the Philistines. Uh, they land, live today in the land that belongs to the Palestinians. And if you see the similarities between those two names, then you're, you're not very far off. Um, Abraham then was dealing in the passage with an old family problem. An old problem relating to Hagar and their son together named Ishmael. That was an incident ripe with biblical significance that we'll discuss as we go on through the message. So hang in here. In a way then, this whole story of these wells and that symbol then of the blessings of God and how God provides us with what we need. That whole story then is set in the midst of human sin and human failure. You see, Abraham is a picture of those who walk by faith, who live by faith, who are a people of faith. Uh, but he, he wasn't a person of perfection. 
God put his sins on prominent display, didn't he? His failures. But it says something to me today that God set this story of blessing right in the middle of human sin and failure. Or to put it another way, God can bless even when we've made a mess. And aren't you glad that God's grace is greater than all of our sins? Uh, We live today, in a sense, in the land of the Philistines. A land where people don't care for God and they don't much care for God's people. We suffer through the agony of, of turmoil in our families sometimes that comes as a result of sin and failure. And so the story of how God would open up these fountains or wells of living water, wells of spiritual blessing, and bring them to bear against the background of sin and failure in Genesis chapter 1 is a story I think we'll all identify with today. And so with that introduction, let's just jump right into it by talking about the first well. We'll call it the the well of salvation, the waters of salvation. Verse 19, God opened her eyes. Remember that was Hagar, and she saw a well of water, and she went in and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Now, in order to understand that, we need to back up and look at a few more verses back in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Let me stop there for a minute and just remind you, last week, remember, that Abraham had uh, thrown a big feast uh, to celebrate uh, the weaning of the child Isaac. And in the midst of that party that they were throwing, that great celebration, that feast, that festival for, for Isaac, there was Ishmael making fun, scoffing at Isaac. And Sarah saw it. I get ready, ladies, to say amen. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, here it is, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, (laughs) listen to her voice. (laughs) I really expected a better amen than that, ladies. I really did. Here is God in heaven telling Abraham, Abraham, listen to your wife and do what she says. I know what you're thinking. That's what it would take to get my husband to listen to me and do what it said. I know what. Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bond. Whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. In obedience then, Abraham sent Hagar away. Now to put her away or send her away was the Old Testament terminology of divorce. Remember when he took her. At Sarah's suggestion, she was considered his wife. To put her away was to divorce her. Very tellingly then, when he gave her a skin of water and a loaf of bread, he has sent both her and 
Ishmael, his firstborn son, by the way, away with no inheritance. That's exactly what Sarah said, and that was exactly what God affirmed. Ishmael will not be your heir. He must be sent away. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The younger son who came to his father and said, give me my inheritance. And the father did it. And of course, he went out and wasted it. Remember that story? Ishmael didn't get his inheritance. He didn't. Sarah said it. God affirmed it. Abraham moved in obedience. He sent her away. He gave him nothing. The Bible says that it grieved Abraham. I'm sure it did. It's hard on Abraham. But I don't mind telling you, I read this story and I feel sorry for Ishmael. Wasn't that boy's fault? We can't help it. She was sent away then, not as the wife of Abraham, but she was sent away as what she had been, as a slave, a bondwoman. We'd have to read a long ways in the Bible before we'd find out what was going on if we just started out in Genesis and kept reading, but I, I'm going to spare you a whole lot of reading, although y'all need to read everything from between Genesis and Galatians 4, if you haven't, but... Uh, if you want to know what's going on, we have to spring ahead to Galatians 4 and 22. I'll put it up here. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. If you're looking in the old King James, it calls it an allegory. What does an allegory mean? It means it's symbolic. For these are the two covenants, it's a symbol of, the two covenants. One, the old covenant, which was from Mount Sinai. That was the covenant of the law of Moses, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. That's where Moses gave the law, remember, Mount Sinai, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And so the whole story was about how that Hagar was representing the, the law of Moses and the covenant, the old covenant that was built around the law of Moses with all of its rules and all of its regulations. It was never designed to give righteousness. The law was given to give us an awareness, a consciousness of sin. And in that sense, the law of Moses does as good a job today as it has ever done of pointing out our sinfulness and the inability that there is for us to live a life that would be pleasing to God, to make us righteous in God's sight. But the Jews decided that they would follow the law and they would keep the law and they would have that righteousness then through the law and it brought them into bondage it wasn't the law's fault it was their fault read Romans 4 sometime 
But that's what was going on. I can only imagine how the Jews of the first century in Galatia must have reacted when they read and found out uh, that Hagar was all about them. That this son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, was a picture, a type, a symbol of all of those who would try to achieve righteousness by the law and be brought into bondage. On the other hand, Isaac was a symbol, a promise of those who seek the righteousness of God by faith. So that when it is impossible, do you see it, folk? (laughs) It wasn't really, really hard for Abraham and Sarah to have a child. It was impossible. When it was impossible then, God provided. By faith in the promise of God then, God provided them with the promise. And the freedom then that comes with a life not based on bondage to the rules and regulations of the law, but the freedom that comes to the life that is lived in faith in Jesus Christ. This is the contrast of what's going on in Genesis 21. The Bible says that Israel's blind to the truth of Christ. Jesus said that in John chapter 12 and verse 40. Uh, Paul alluded to it in Romans chapter 11 and verse 7. But one day, bless God, he is going to open their eyes. And they will see the truth. Notice Isaiah 41 and 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue fails for thirst, I the Lord will hear them. I the God of Israel will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. And through this, uh, again, a symbolic uh, passage here, uh, it doesn't take away from the very practical thing that God was promising He was going to bring that river of life to that land. That even today, though it has flourished since Israel has been in the land, even today they exist like Ezekiel's soldiers in the valley of dry bones. They they have sinew and flesh upon them. But as yet there's no life in them. And there won't be life until they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Someday, God will open their eyes. Someday that will happen. And it may not be far away. But it will happen. Meanwhile, we've got Hagar and Ishmael. Out in the desert. They've got a little bread and a bag of water. Skin of water. That's it. They're caught in the midst of a circumstance that threatens their very life. And because of the past failure in Abraham's life, he can do nothing to help them. You know, it's a sad thing when parents have to look at a situation in their family and say, you know, I made this mess. I made bad choices, bad decisions. I went the wrong way. I took a left when I went right. I I said no to God and I said yes to sin. I've created this mess. Now I can't fix it. I think about Abraham interceding with God for the cities of Sodom. To the point his intercession so powerful for Lot and his family that God would have spared five cities to spare Lot and his family for the sake of ten righteous people. Think of how Abraham was able to intercede then. But what does he do for Ishmael, his son?
can't help him. There's nothing he can do. It's a sad thing when we have to look at a decision, choices that affected our family, created such a mess. Even sadder when we realize there's nothing we can do about it. You may have family this morning, friends, loved ones who are far removed from you. They may be living in the wilderness of unbelief and you long to help them, but you can't. Maybe they even stand in jeopardy of eternal separation from God because they've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that you know of. You long to help them, but you can't. The message of Genesis chapter 21 is... Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. When we say there's nothing I can do, that doesn't mean there's nothing that can be done. (laughs) Because when there's nothing that I can do, there is still much that God can do. And so here's Hagar and Ishmael out there in the desert, and who shows up but God? God who says, the Jehovah angel himself, and you know, I told you over and over again, that whenever you find the angel of the Lord in Scripture, it's almost always a reference to Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. That is, before he was born and entered human history. He was still there. But whenever he assumed that form of the Jehovah angel in the Old Testament, that was, that's, that's just Jesus. And what does he do? He's crying out to the Lord. Ishmael was, and God heard him. And that's exactly what he says. He shows up and says, I've heard his cry. You see, the same God who heard Ishmael's cry long ago can hear the cry of your loved ones too. He's still out there. He's still working. And isn't it interesting that God had heard the voice of the lad. The voice of the lad. See, the last time in Scripture when we found him, he was scoffing at the child of promise. And you know who Isaac represented, right? (laughs) Uh, You know the seed of Abraham. You know who that's all about. So when he's laughing at, at Isaac, who's he laughing at? Yeah, you know. But that same boy that was laughing at the seed of Abraham, a couple of days later, he's crying out to God, and God hears his voice. Don't you think? That God can't maneuver in the lives of your loved ones. Though you might not be able to reach them. Don't you think that God can't bring them to the place where they stop laughing at Jesus and start crying out to him. Because he can. He can. Don't lose hope today. The message of this story is that God can open up a fountain in the desert. That he hears the cry of those who are dying and those who are thirsty. And he shows them then the place. Where they can get the water, not just, uh, not just high quality H2O, but the living water, the real stuff. Uh, the stuff that you drink of and then you never, not never, thirst again. As much as we'd like to, we'd like to take that drink for our loved ones, wouldn't we? Wouldn't you? You can't do it. Excuse me, I'm a little thirsty. Hold on, just a minute. I'll be right back.
Oh, wasn't that good? Thank you. No, you wouldn't know. I can't drink water for you. You got to drink it yourself. And as much as we'd like to drink our drink water for our kids, our grandkids, others that might have strayed far from God, we can't. And if we're not real careful, sometimes we'll try to pluck those kids out of the very situation that God puts them in to where they'll be calling out to Him wanting a drink. You understand what I'm saying? Abraham didn't go chasing after him saying, I got another skin of water for you. I know you're going to run out. They got out there where he cried to the Lord. And the Lord heard his cry and showed him where to get the drink. See, this is a really good passage. It really is. And it's not done yet. Remember Abimelech, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might remember that. It's an unusual name. Nobody names their kids Abimelech that I know of. Um, but it, it came to pass in verse 22 that Abimelech and, and, and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me in the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. And then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of the well of water, which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. What a magnificent statement that is that Abimelech made to Abraham. God is with you in all that you do. That's especially noteworthy since the last time we found Abimelech in Scripture was the time that the last time that Abraham was lying about Sarah, called him his sister, and Abimelech took her into his house, and, and God nearly killed him and his whole family. I mean, it was a, it was a bad thing. And yet when God spoke to Abimelech, lost man that he was, he said, my servant Abraham is a prophet. You go to him and pray for you, and, and, and I'll, I'll redeem you out of this curse that is upon you. And, and God did exactly what he said that he would do. And so Abimelech looks at Abraham, flawed believer though he might be, and says, God is with you in all that you do. You see, uh, Abimelech knew that God was blessing Abraham. And he wanted in on it. So he comes to him. I, I know God's with you. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3. Another one of those water passages. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. You see, it's amazing that people who are living in rejection of God still long for the blessings of God. They may not know it, but they do. They may not know that the deepest needs of their lives are the things that they need from God and, and that come from Him alone. They don't know that. But they can see your family, though they may never read the Bible. They can see your family, though they may never darken the door of a church. They can see you because they work with you every day. They can see your kids, your marriage, your family. 
And Abimelech was watching Abraham and what a testimony it is when he says, God is with you in everything that you do. What an incredible, incredible statement. You know, there's a great big dry, thirsty world out there living in the barren wastelands of sin and suffering. They long to be blessed. And they know somehow that you and I have a blessing, the blessings of God on our life, and they seek you out. Let me tell you something today. One of the great things about being a believer in Christ is when you, you make that decision, you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you receive him as your Savior. You become his child. Uh, God's blessings then begin to flow in your life as you follow him. You follow him in baptism. You join a church. You, you make your profession of faith public to the world. And, and you begin to live for Christ. Flawed though you may be. Messes you certainly make. And yet through it all. Through it all. The world is still able to see the blessings of God on your life. People seek you out. They will. They'll seek you out. And you'll have then that opportunity to point them to where the water is. How did Abraham do it? Well, he brought Abimelech some critters. That that had a little problem. Abraham had dug a well. And Abimelech's servants came and took it by force. What did Abraham do? He let them take it. He let them. You know, the Bible teaches us as much as possible is within you, live peaceably with all men. And, and Abraham was living that out even before that passage was written. Abimelech's men came and took that well away from him, and Abraham let him have it. But when he met with Abimelech, he, he brought it up to him. And so what are we going to do? Well, verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. That already stole as well. You know, one of the hardest passages of Scripture, out of many hard passages of Scripture that all of us have, is to do good to those that do us evil. To return not cursing for cursing, but rather bless. That already stole as well, so... What's he do? He gives them cattle, critters, sheep and oxen, and he gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves, just set them over there and left them. I don't know how long that they kind of walked around that elephant in the room, but finally Abimelech asked, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And Abraham said this, you will take these seven ewe lambs, from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. And you know what they named the well? Beersheba. You know what Beersheba means? Seven lambs. <laughs> Seven lambs. Abraham was a pretty sharp fellow, wasn't he? Now Abraham could have given him any critter. I mean, he could have given him a donkey. He could have given him a goat. He could have had seven uh, whatever camels out there. Seven lambs. I tell you, whenever the lambs show up in Scripture, you know what I think about, and I know what you think about, and rightly so. You see, Abimelech came to Abraham seeking the blessings of God on his life. I do not think it's insignificant that Abraham told him, if you want the blessings of God, you've got to take the lamb. 
You've got to receive the lamb. Yeah, makes sense to me. Isaiah 43, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. You see, God has promised these blessings. And this water is a symbol of it. His blessings upon His people. And the remainder of this chapter then will show Abraham and his family living in that well called the seven lambs. But over and over again in scripture you'll see a reference from Dan to, Sheer, to Beersheba. Beersheba became uh, the boundary, if you will, uh, of the land of Israel. From Dan to Beersheba. And when you're living in Beersheba, then you're living right on the edge. On the other side of that boundary of the Philistines. And they hate, don't care for God and they don't like his people much. But living in the land of the Philistines, living there in Beersheba, there was Abraham enjoying the blessings of God. And what a testimony he was to a thirsty world. Yeah, this is a great passage. See, this passage is bringing to mind then these two great failures in Abraham's life. One in his family when he brought in Hagar and he had Ishmael. And, and one in the world when he lied to Abimelech and ended up uh, where God intended for him to be a blessing. He brought a curse on Abimelech. But in all of that mess, God intervened and was able to bless him even in his mess. You see, wherever people are seeking God, wherever His people are living for God, God is able to open up a fountain of blessing. Remember Isaiah 44 and 3, God says, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. And though Ishmael, and we feel sorry for him, was sent away without any inheritance, hey, that's all right, God had a plan for him. And God raised him up and he made of him a great nation. And the world today is still populated with the descendants of Ishmael. Whether we like them or not is irrelevant. They are a testimony. They are to exactly what God said in this passage. I will make of you a great nation. And every time you walk up to a gas pump and pump gas in your car. That came right out of land that ended up in Ishmael's hands. You remember Ishmael ended up pretty good. Though he left out without an inheritance as far as finances is concerned, they, their lands ended up being very valuable. But you see, all of that was really just a, a sideline to what was happening. Because God was showing Abraham, and he shows us, how that he is able to bring his blessings on your offspring. I don't care how much money we can leave to our kids. How much land we can leave to our kids. Uh, how many things that we can leave to our kids. I can't think of any greater blessing. And I don't believe you will be able to either. Than to be able to look at our kids. And see that God is blessing them. And God is using them. To see the blessings of God upon their life. That they know God. And they're following him. And they're living for Him and serving Him. And God, and their life is flourishing. And that's what God said. I will pour out my Spirit on your descendants and my blessings will be on your offspring. 
what he promises. Even when we make a mess of it, God's grace is still able to move them into a place of blessing. We'll close then with the warning of Jeremiah chapter 2. God said, There my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, <clears throat> out north of uh, the city in Arkansas called Hector uh, is a place we used to go and squirrel hunt. I believe the name of it is Crow Mountain, but there's so many Crow Mountains in Arkansas, I can't guarantee you that the one I'm talking about is the same one that you're talking about. Uh, but I can tell you it was a good place for squirrel hunting. I'd been hunting one day, and you know we weren't really planning on being gone that long. And um, I got away and got around and walked up on a road. And when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you've never been there before, and you find a road, uh, there's just something in me that calls me to see where it goes. <laughs> so off I went. Walking down that old road through the woods, all growed up, but you could see the wagon ruts were still there. It's an old road. As I got a little closer, went along the road, got up close to the top of the mountain, I, I found that uh, I, I could see there was a clearing there, and there was an old house. The house is gone. Vandals eventually burned it down, but then the house was still standing, although no one had lived in it for years. <laughs> but what impressed me most was, and it was hot, it was dry. You know, it was one of those early spring days in September, and it can be just plain hot in Arkansas in September. Amen? I mean, it can, it's dry. I didn't have any water. All of a sudden, I noticed the road got wet. I looked up ahead, and I could see a hole in the ground. When I got up there, I realized it was, it was a spring. It was a well. Somebody had dug the well out. The spring was in it. Artesian wells, we call them. A spring-fed well. There were some leaves already falling on the top. I, I got up and scraped those leaves out. And I remembered that parable in the Bible with Joshua. You know, I didn't want to get down and just lap it up like a dog. I, I, I said, man, you'll get sick. I, I, I know that. I'm not recommending this to anybody. I'm just telling you what I did. I was young, dumb, thirsty, and that was some good, cold, running spring water. And I drank my fill of it. You know, there's hardly anything. It's more precious than drinking a good cold drink out of a spring or spring-fed well. Just something about it. And so when God says, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, he said, instead, you've hewn out for yourself cisterns. You know what a cistern is? Of course, that's... A hole that they'd dig in the rock or something else, something that could hold water. Sometimes they'd build it out of stone and seal it out where it'd hold water so that it would catch rainwater, runoff water, when it grew out. Cistern. What a contrast. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and built a cistern to drink out of. You've got a good spring over here to drink from. But you would rather drink out of a cistern that you made yourself than drink out of the well that I've provided for you. But oh, by the way, God says, let me, let me tell you one more problem you've got. Not only was your first problem that you have 
forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That was problem number one. Number two, but you hewed out cisterns for yourself to drink out of. That was, but then there, there's a second part to that problem number two. And the second part to the problem is, is that the cisterns are broken. And they can't hold water. Some of you this morning may have been drinking from the cisterns that you've made for yourself. Turned away from God, His Word and His truth. Make life the way you want it to be. And if you've done that, then I can tell you where you sit this morning. That the cistern that you've made for yourself is broken and you know it. And being the resourceful person that you are, you keep on pumping water in it. And it keeps running out. And all the while over there, when if you're listening real close, you can almost hear that sound. All the while, that spring fountain, the living waters of God, are available. All you have to do is cry out to Him. Call upon me, God said, Jeremiah 33 and 3. God's phone number is J-E-R 333. Call upon me, God said, and I will answer thee. Call upon me and I will answer thee. Just like Ishmael. Call. God will answer. Maybe this morning you've already been saved, but you never followed the Lord in baptism. Well, baptism doesn't make you saved, but baptism is the way that we follow God. And we declare to the world that I have decided to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe that's a decision you need to make. I've been saved, but I need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe God is leading you to be a part of this church family. And that's your decision today. Somebody says, well, you can go to heaven without the church. And, and yes, you're right. You can. Uh, you can. I can't tell you that you've got to be in the church to go to heaven. But I can tell you that the Bible teaches by example and by direct teaching that we are to be saved, baptized, and then unite ourselves, be added to a New Testament church. Because you need to be taught. You need to be discipled. You need other people to help you along in your walk. Maybe this morning you've got somebody you love that's far from God. And you want them. <laughs> you, you've been praying for God to help them. Maybe this morning it's time for you to start praying for God to get them thirsty. Because if they're thirsty, they get thirsty enough. They say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Give him salt. <laughs> Amen? Salt him. He'll drink. He will. Some of you may be wondering what you're going through and why. God may be salting you. He's patient. He loves you. But He's waiting on you to call out to Him. When you do, He will answer and show you great and mighty things thou knowest not. Maybe this morning. Got somebody on your heart you want to pray for. This altar is open. Let's stand together.